We're at the Chiefs training facility where the team made news on Friday by announcing a $54 million contract extension for wide receiver Tyreek Hill. That, that's over three years. Star columnist Vahe Gregorian and I break down what this means for Hill and the Chiefs. It's also a college football Friday. Beat writers Kellis Robinette, Jesse Newell, and Alex Schiffer provide the latest on K-State, KU, and Mizzou as the teams head into week two. And we also bid farewell to one of ours, Brooke Pryor, who covered the Chiefs as the star's primary beat writer for their most successful season in more than two decades, reflects on her time in Kansas City and tells us about her next assignment. All of this on the Friday, September 6th edition of Sports Beat KC, the star's daily sports podcast sponsored by Big O Tires. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. Me, 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 you, 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 us, 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 and there was some news on the Chiefs front today with the announcement of Tyreek Hill's new contract extension. Three years, $54 million. We confirmed the, the, the amount today. Big news for the Chiefs. Vahe, uh, we, we kind of had an idea that this was going to happen. It was in the works. Uh, significance of the Tyreek Hill extension? I think one of the things that really stands out is how many things they're kind of locking up now, right, for the next three, four, five years at least. And we certainly can assume the a Mahomes deal will work out um, when, when it's uh, able to be worked out officially. So I think, I think it sends that message, right, that the core of what we see here that is so promising and so exciting, a core that includes probably the fastest player in the NFL, and I would argue among the top five most exciting players in the NFL, um, now they've got at least two of those, and depending on where you see Travis Kelsey, et cetera. So I think it's a it's really a good message to Chiefs fans. I think the contract also, as I understand it, I haven't really had a chance to study it too much yet, or maybe we don't know all the ins and outs, but it, it's a different kind of contract than we might have expected before March. I think that's fair to say, right? It, well, I you know there was a lot of speculation, and and, and you know. To base reporting on what what was speculated in terms of length and dollars, uh, I'm not sure is fair. But the the idea was Tyreek Hill was going to be among the top paid wide receivers in the league with his next contract, if not the highest paid. This makes him among the highest paid. I think a lot of people were thinking four years for him. This is a three year yeah. deal. Yeah. So maybe there was uh, maybe that's the main thing I mean when it just length of contract is a little different than what what seemed to be in play. Um, earlier. And there was some language, in, in fact, we don't know about the contract, but in the quote that from Brett Veach uh, about, um, I don't know, it's not a moral clause, you know, maybe it is. I, it doesn't, it, he, that's not what he said, but he did address the off-season issues with, uh, with, with Tyreek, and that was part of the quote from Brett Veach in the statement. So, um, that was if, if that had an impact on on the on the the amount or the the length. Uh, I guess only Brett Veach and Drew Rosenhaus know for sure. Right. Uh, and we didn't get to talk to Tyreek Hill today because uh, we were told that Tyreek will talk about his contract after Sunday's game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, which will be attended 
by you, Vahe, Sam Mellinger, Sam McDowell, and me, but not Brooke Pryor, sadly. Um, Brooke, this is, I believe, your last... Well, I don't believe, I know. <laughs> there's, no, there's no believing. This is I your, pushed it until the last possible day. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Uh, this is your last day at the Chiefs training uh, complex for as, as a you know, Chiefs beat writer. And uh, tell people where you're headed. I'm headed to... Uh, that took me a second. I was like, where am I going? Uh, well, tomorrow I'm going to Boston. Sunday I'm going to Foxborough. And Monday, I'm going to Pittsburgh to cover the Steelers for ESPN. Fantastic. Kind of crazy. Cool. You know who said it best, though? <laughs> so I've uh, been lucky enough to be saying goodbye to some players who've uh, really helped me out and been great to talk to over the last year. And on my way out of the locker room, I caught Sammy Watkins. He was the first guy I did a big story on last year when we talked about him being a reptilian solar being. <laughs> and I said, Sammy, this is my last day here. And he said, what? Where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going to Pittsburgh to cover the Steelers for ESPN. And he said, why? <laughs> <laughs> he said, well, it's uh, Steelers or, or ESPN is my version of the big leagues. That's my NFL. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he said, that makes sense. And he was like, I'll see you. He was like, but I'll see you. He was like, I'll see you again and again and again and again. So he knows, like uh, all of you know, and like we know that the Chiefs play the Steelers usually once a year in the regular season. This year they got that meeting out of the way in the preseason. But I also like took a spin, took a look through uh, Sports Illustrated's predictions yesterday. And they have the Chiefs and the Steelers meeting either in I think in like the AFC Championship game, almost maybe yeah. a wild card meeting. I don't remember the exact formula, but I think over half of them had the Chiefs and the Steelers meeting at some point in the postseason. So it could happen for sure. I mean, I, I think Chiefs are a prohibitive favorite to win the the division, and the and the Steelers somewhat of a favorite to win the 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 North, the AFC North, and they absolutely could be on a collision course for for the playoffs and. Uh, we always wonder why the Chiefs and the Patriots and the Chiefs and the Steelers play each other every regular season. You know, it's part of the scheduling formula, but it, that formula also includes if you finish in the same place in your division, you're a, you could play each other the following year. Yep. So as long as the Chiefs and Steelers keep winning the division, they'll, they'll continue to play each other. Um, so um, you cover the Chiefs for, for one year, and it was quite a season. <laughs> quite a season covering the Chiefs. You saw a 12-4 and um, record a third straight uh, AFC West division title, and you covered the team that went farther than any Chiefs team uh, in in the playoffs since 1993. Two years after I was born, by the way. I just <laughs> just want to throw that out there. Well, um, and this this after covering the Oklahoma Sooners for a couple years, where you uh, where you saw you know a Heisman uh, Rose Bowl loss, but still made it to the yeah. Rose Bowl in the college football playoff and a Sugar Bowl win. And Bob Stoops retired. Uh, Andy Reid didn't retire here, so I'm glad that I didn't bring that energy to Kansas City. Um, but no, I fully expect now that I've left that the Chiefs will be in the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> the same thing happened when I left the UNC basketball beat in 2016 to go to OU. UNC was in the national championship and won in 2017. Right. They got villanova in 16. <laughs> I was there for that. Yeah, no, that's... I can't help your team win a championship if I'm on the beat, but as soon as I leave, they'll definitely win. So look forward to that. Uh, you're welcome, everyone. <laughs> uh, what are you going to remember most about uh, about the year in KC? 
Blair, I'm doing, I'm doing a really good job of like not audibly crying. And then you no, ask a the, question like that. But the tears are streaming. I, I can see. <laughs> they streaming, can't. Streaming audio. We have streaming audio here. <laughs> you and Bahe both crying. Uh, this is just <laughs> cruel. Um, and in your year in, I'll, I'll help you. In your year, <laughs> in your year in Kansas City, you got married. Uh, you took in Hootie, mm-hmm. the the cute puppy. Uh, like I said, you covered a you covered a, a terrific football team. You made a lot of good friends, a lot of good friends. And um, and I know uh, we went out last night and uh, shared some memories in a sort of a going away uh, 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 evening for you. And um, and I I know that uh, it was a nice toast by our boss Jeff Rosen. And well, you're going to be missed. You are. Um, you, you, you did such a terrific job covering the Chiefs for us, and it wasn't always easy. There were some very difficult times uh, covering the Chiefs, especially after the season, um, that are, that are w- well documented and chronicled. And uh, <laughs> it's funny how you know, we're, we're going to record this on the day where Tyreek Hill sets, you know, signs a new contract. <laughs> right, right, right. And, uh, and that, that consumed so much of your, your offseason, mm-hmm. and, and for the, whole, the entire star, not just mm-hmm. you, but the whole Kansas City star. Um, you know, months of coverage of Tyreek Hill, but uh, uh, you are on to uh, on to Pittsburgh, on to the Steelers. I don't think there'll be a better team than the Chiefs, but you never know. <laughs> you never know. I told you the Chiefs are winning the Super Bowl, so so and and, maybe, and I can say that now that I'm not, you know. And I'm, I think you're trying to angle it. If, if the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, I think you're trying to angle a deal that you'll be able to cover it. That's my goal. So um, that's my hope. But I think. What I'm going to remember the most are, I mean, you guys. I mean, I couldn't have asked for better people to work with every day that I saw every day that read all of my stories, even when I was like, this is really bad. I'm sorry. Can I quote transition the hell out of this? Can you take a look at it and make sure that you would have also quote transitioned it this way? (laughs) Most of the time the answer was yes. Sometimes it was like, oh, man, that was bad. Um... But I mean, our our Facebook lives, our podcasts, our road trips, our dinners, and all of that is what made this place so special for me. Because um, you can, you know, I've, as we just briefly covered, I've moved around a lot. And, you know, when you interview for a job, you it's important that you meet, you know, the people in the office and everything. But you don't really get a feel for what it's going to be like on a day-to-day basis until you're with those people at the facility or on the road. And, I mean, I knew from the minute I met you guys, and we went to, what was the memorabilia place in North Kansas City? Chapels. Chapels. We went to Chapels, and I was just like, man, these people are awesome. And then Blair drove me to the airport, and we talked about Bojangles, and we talked about Cheerwine. <laughs> Our North Carolina. Yep, and I links. said, God, I really hope they give me this job, because like, it's not going to get better than this. Um, and then it lived up to that expectation and more on a day-to-day basis at the facility with you guys, with other people on the beat. Um, I mean, even the Chiefs are letting us use their conference room right now, but they they were great to work with. I mean, there were just so many good people that I was lucky enough to cross paths with, and that's what makes it so hard to leave. So the Steelers have, I mean, they're a storied franchise. ESPN is a storied organization, but... Both of them have incredibly high bars to clear, given 
what I've been lucky enough to experience here in the last year and some change. Well, look, you'll you'll be part of our DNA. Hopefully, we'll be part of yours and um, your your wit and wisdom and lively ways uh, <laughs> are uh, going to be sorely missed. And uh, your your habit, of, even your habit of being able to flip something on me the minute I say it <laughs> and make me feel pinned. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll miss that, but it'll give me a couple months to be ready for your, for your next. Uh, well, I'll next be back shot. in two weeks, so that's the biggest joke of it all. Is we're going to do all this now, and then I've got to come back and actually move my things after week three. So, uh, so we can just do that all again. But I'll give you a couple weeks of a head start to think of. You can watch me. You know, maybe they'll put me on TV, and you can watch it and analyze it, and be ready. See to See if I have something, something ready yeah. for you yeah. that, that you can't just instantly turn exactly. around on me. You've okay. got to be like Andy Reid in the preseason, getting ready for the regular season. Like you have all this time to draw up the perfect first play get a wheel route ready and i'll be the linebacker on d will or the d end on d will and i'm gonna be ready for it (laughs) oh man all right brooke you give mike tomlin and ben roethlisberger our best absolutely and uh and we will we'll see you again soon see you guys Jesse Newell covers ku for the kansas city stars the beat writer along with gary bedore Jesse, I don't know how often you have had to or have have had the opportunity to refer to the Jayhawks as the one and O football team, but here they are, one and O, and 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 I the way it happened was really interesting to me. I, I the the game was a little too even that for for uh, I, I think uh, for for what I was expecting or or maybe hoping for for Kansas. Uh, but they found a way to win it in the end, and I think that was the uh, the most important takeaway from their their victory over Indiana State last Saturday. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of what Bill Self likes to talk about, which is basically you you can ask him whether he likes close games or whether he likes blowouts, and basically he'll say, well, whichever happened, I like because he likes winning basketball games foremost. But um, you didn't want it to be close to your Kansas football, but the fact that it was and the team still rallied and came up with a victory when a lot of other times in similar circumstances in recent years, they've sort of folded in that situation. I think that can be seen as a positive. Now, I think you're exactly right. If you look, for example, if you're comparing K-State to KU, um, both teams played uh, FCS teams at home, ranked in somewhere between the 13 and 16 range in the FCS poll. One team completely overwhelms its opponent, and KU, as we just talked about, was down one with four and a half minutes left, and on the verge of not winning that football game. But the fact that they did and that Carter Stanley, uh, Les Miles, continued to show his trust in him. He led the team down the field 75 yards for the game-winning touchdown and two-point conversion afterwards, and Carter Stanley played his best football on that last drive. And once again, KU turned some negative momentum and turned it into positive momentum. I think all those things are encouraging signs. Now, as you look ahead to Coastal Carolina, the hope is that you don't play that poorly, that you put yourself in a position like that in this week where we know KU, it's going to be a rare occurrence where they're going to be favored in a football game. That's going to happen again this week against Coastal Carolina. A, A popular narrative that came out of the Indiana State game that I heard was under the previous regime, Kansas may not have won that game given the same circumstance that is when when the when when Stanley lost the fumble in the end zone and Indiana State went ahead by one that there would have been you know kind of a panic time or just would not have found the will to win a do you agree with that and and b if you do uh can we can we attribute some of that to the coaching change 
it's really difficult because uh, you know me, Blair, as Mr. Rational Numbers Thinker, that the sample size here is so small. I mean, we're talking about one game with less miles. And again, the Jacks put themselves in a position to lose, even though they did win. But you're right in the fact that less miles t- talked a lot in the offseason about getting his team to believe in themselves and having kind of a unity council and put having guys put sayings up on the wall and having it be a, a student athlete led team and basically trying to put them in tough situations so they could overcome it, whether it's in practice or conditionings, just for situations exactly like that. And KU did pass its first test, so you do have to give them credit for that. But having said all that, again, it's one game. And for Kansas, if you look back to last year, I mean, uh, I know it wasn't maybe the success a lot of fans wanted, but that team still won three games after losing uh, the opener to an FCS school and still beat a team like TCU at home, which hasn't happened in many recent years. So uh, the narrative might be a little bit overblown. I heard some of that as well. But again, we'll see over time. If Kansas can win close games in football, that would be a marked change from what's happened here over the course of the last decade when when one thing goes wrong, it seems like everything snowballs from there. For one game, that didn't happen for Kansas, but once again, it was against an FCS opponent they were supposed to beat anyway. So uh, I guess as we get more of a sample, we'll be able to tell more exactly what it's going to happen under the Les Miles regime. I, I thought there was a lot of uh, kind of nothing about the game. Uh, Hassan Defense had the, uh, the, the the 60-yard or whatever it was interception return to get the scoring started, which was a huge play by the defense and and uh, and, and got things going in the right direction. But on that game-winning drive, I thought – the two wide receivers who had good days had had a terrific drive there. Um, Andrew Parchment and Dylan Charlotte with the, with the touchdown reception. I mean, those guys were just able to beat their uh, the cornerbacks, the defense on uh, throughout the day, but especially on, on that last drive. Oh, those are a couple of guys that uh, we're, we're just not used to seeing in a KU uniform. Is um, uh, can, can we? Can, can expect continued big things from those two receivers in particular. I, I just thought both of them had terrific games. They both did. And uh, I feel like I'm the one that maybe would be most skeptical about something like that happening, but I am encouraged. And I think part of the reason is I kind of joke with people like every week I go back to Emmett Jones's contract with Kansas, the receivers coach they got from Texas Tech last year, and keep checking to make sure to see maybe if they're going to have to get him a raise here soon because he's the guy that brought in, has brought in all the recruiting guys, the four star talent that the Jayhawks have gotten in the you know the 2019 recruiting class with Stephen Parker and then the 2021 where we've talked about Brennan Scott he's just been an absolute ace recruiter for the Jayhawks and now man it sure seems like he can coach as well because he takes over the receiving core and you start with Dalen Charlotte who comes from Alabama he had high expectations the last two years but had some injuries for a while. He was moved to safety. I mean, this was a guy that really didn't produce much under the previous regime. Again, maybe injuries or some of that, but he looked amazing in that game. Uh, really good with the jump balls and uh, coming down with very tough catches. And then Andrew Parchment looked like a number one receiver out there in his first game coming from junior college. And he has some speed and some, some shiftiness. That last drive we talked about, he converted a third and seven where he had to make a guy miss. He made an inside move and was able to do it and went over 100 yards for his first Kansas game. So, yeah, I think Kansas has to be encouraged about this receiving core and something to watch moving forward. I know Les Miles wants to play physical smash mouth football. He wants to play his tight ends. He wants to play his fullbacks. But Dalen Charlotte didn't have a bunch of snaps in that game. I mean, they played a lot of, you know, two tight end, two running back sets, which only leaves you one receiver out on the field. So if Les Miles truly wants to play to his team's strengths, I think they got to get at least two receivers on the field more than they did in that first game. And if that's the case, then uh, perhaps you'll see even more plays coming from that outside receiving core where I thought they had a tremendous first game. And definitely uh, that 
that unit was the MVP of, of game number one. Yeah, and, and with that, with uh, that apparent strength, at least from you know one game sample size, um, I was surprised to see the total yards. Wasn't KU under 300 total yards for the game? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I have to look up the exact number, but it was not impressive. I know they were at like 5.7 yards per play, which again for a, an FBS team going in against an FCS team at home. Um, that that's not the number you want. And as I spoke out earlier, I mean, if you look at like Kansas State against Nichols, uh, that number was much, much higher. Right. Um, so, so that's I, I think if you're a Kansas fan, you, you know, enjoy the victory and, and, and feel good about it. But that's not something to feel great about is the, you know, the, just the lack of, uh, of offensive production overall in that game. What did the what would they get? Just two. I, you know, I can't remember the final score now. That's how bad. Uh, that's how long ago it seemed. But was it, was it two touchdowns from the offense or or? Yeah, they scored twenty four points. One of the touchdowns was the pick six you mentioned from Hassan defense, and then just to go over the numbers: sixty three plays, three hundred forty four yards, so five point five yards per play uh, was KU's total. And then I know the rushing attempts sometimes in college they get skewed a little bit with the sacks that happen, but uh, overall KU thirty four rushes for one hundred three yards. And like I said, KU took some sacks in that game, but they also did give away seven points on a sack fumble. So you have to give. Uh, some of the defense a little more credit too because the defense didn't actually give up 17 they gave up 10 so uh, all in all that along with the three fumbles for Carter Stanley uh, this was not a productive offensive game right okay so let's look ahead to Coastal Carolina you know and and by looking ahead let me start by going back to last year they had the disappointing loss in the opener and I can remember you uh, projecting a win on the road was it was it Central Michigan the following week that's right, and and you 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 picked it you picked a win for for the Jayhawks. They had not won on the road in a decade, and they went up there and and had a terrific game. So they responded really well to, you know, a what was a crushing loss. I think a loss that sealed the fate of of David Beatty if it wasn't already. But uh, but they went up and won game two, and now they're coming off a win in game one, a, a, a game in which I think there's plenty of work to do, and unless Miles can. You know, can kind of keep the keep the hammer down this week in, in practice. So, what what's the expectation for for this week against uh, Coastal Carolina? I see that uh, Kansas is a little bit more of a, a little bit bigger favorite against the Chanticleers than they were against the Sycamores. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. You know, uh, when you have FBS versus FCS, you're kind of looking at or you're looking at Vegas lines that are kind of legitimate but kind of not. So, if you look right before the game, that line jumped up from like four and a half points to like nine or ten so this one actually is going to be sort of similar to what the final line was for that one where I think the Chanticleers are about a seven and a half point underdog but that seems like a lot in football but if you actually kind of carry the math out it, it would project that KU would win this game if you played it a bunch about 75 percent of the time so very similar in terms of this is not a good opponent uh, but then again Kansas has not proven itself to be very good yet either and so this is definitely a losable game but yet the only game left in the season that Kansas is going to be expected to win. And so uh, from outside appearances of the Coastal Carolina, I know there was a lot of thought that they were going to be maybe more of a, a triple option team. But if you look at the first game stats, they threw the ball a ton, went for over 300 yards, but had four interceptions. So that can be a little deceiving. You know, we know turnovers are worth about negative five points each. So four interceptions. I mean, you kind of put yourself behind the eight ball when you lose uh, by seven points and you have four turnovers in, in a game like that. So uh, a team that seems to me like uh, – from outside indications has a lot of a lot more speed and a lot more talent 
than Indiana State does, and maybe more athletic than Indiana State, but less disciplined. And kind of speaking to that, you saw uh, we talked about the turnovers and then nine penalties in the first game for Coastal Carolina, not to mention kind of a wacky week for them because uh, they went from Conway, which is where their campus is, and went about four hours east to Greenville, and they've been practicing on high school fields ever since Monday before flying out uh, to go to Lawrence on Friday. So uh, this is kind of a crazy week for them with Hurricane Dorian in town or around them. So they're going to be kind of living on the road here. They had a similar thing happen last year where for three weeks they did the same thing. And actually on day 12 of that trip for them away from home, they went down to Louisiana as an underdog and won a game there. So uh, you hate to say that they're familiar with this territory because of hurricanes, but that's absolutely the case with Coastal Carolina. But all in all, again, KU gets Puka Williams back, their top playmaker on offense, an all-Big 12 first-team running back last year. He should be able to maybe make a couple more plays KU couldn't make in the opener against a team like Indiana State. And so you have that along with, again, the fact that Kansas is at home and is considered just slightly better than Coastal Carolina. It's a game that fans are expecting KU to win. But then again, shouldn't be a shock if the Jayhawks lose. So we'll see how it turns out here, and uh, we'll see how close this one gets for Les Miles and company as they try to go to 2-0 and for the first time, Blair, since 2011. Wow. Wow, 2011. That, that is that's a long time between drinks of water for, for the Jayhawks. <laughs> so, all right, Jesse, great stuff. We will talk to you again next week. Sounds good, Blair. The biggest tire sale of the year could only happen at Big O Tires, but you've only got two weeks to get two free tires. That's right, two free tires when you buy two, now at Big O Tires through September 9th. Just buy two select tires and you'll receive two free with the purchase of a one-year alignment and tire protection package. That's half off your tires at Big O Tires. It's the biggest tire sale of the year through September 9th only. Buy two tires, get two free. Now at Big O Tires. Big on service, guaranteed low prices. For the location nearest you, go to BigOtires.com. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Kellis Robinette, who covers Kansas State for the Kansas City Star and the Wichita Eagle, is here and tell us of the three teams that the star covers on a regular basis, Missouri, Kansas, Kansas State, I think you witnessed the most satisfying outcome of the college football season openers on Saturday when the Wildcats rolled over Nichols State. I was a little bit surprised by the the ease in which Kansas State was able to win that game. Or were you surprised at all? Anything about that game kind of opened your eye a little bit? I was a little bit surprised. I thought they'd have a hard time covering the spread. It was 23 and a half. And just with a brand new offense and a brand new defense and all the substitutions I knew they wanted to make, I just didn't really see them being completely crisp and just rolling over a a team that came in. I believe they were ranked number 11th in the FCS rankings. So I, I figured they'd win, but maybe only by about 17, not by the margin that they did. 
Um, I was I was very impressed. It was hard not to be. I mean, they played pretty much a, a flawless first half. If Dalton Schoen holds on to a, uh, a football in the end zone, uh, they're up 35-0 instead of 28-0, and things are even better. Um, but, yeah, not, not a whole lot to complain about. And, and definitely anybody who had doubts about where this program was going under the new coaching regime is, uh, at least for now, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, for at least a week, and and I suspect two weeks. We'll get to Bowling Green here in just a second. But um, just as important as the performance on the field to me, of course, is the way they entered the field, right? The pregame ceremony. I'm kidding, of course, but at least it's uh, it was worth observing how – how um, you know Chris Kleiman, uh, the, the 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 new regime was going to change things up from the from the Bill Snyder era, and that started really in in the pregame uh, festivities, did it not? The way the Wildcats took the field, warmed up, et cetera. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was a it was a different vibe, and you could feel it from about an hour before kickoff in the music they were playing. Um, most of the classics we'd heard over the years under Bill Snyder were gone. We heard some Kanye, we heard some Drake, um, pretty much every popular rap artist made an appearance on the pregame playlist, and, um, you know, players were, were loving it, they were getting after it in warm-ups, and um, there were, you know, it, it wasn't a drastic change, it wasn't quite as drastic as maybe I thought it would be, um, going from Snyder to climbing. but yeah, everyone wanted to see the new intro videos, and it, it was different, um, I... You know, I'd say I was honestly just a, a little underwhelmed because there was, I don't know, you kind of build it up in your head that they're going to do this, this amazing stuff. But at the end of the day, it's still just an intro video. Um, but there were there were fireworks when they came out. Jordy Nelson was there, you know, escorting them out on a good start, both for pregame and the game. Right. Well, of course, if they had struggled or, you know, heaven forbid, lost the game, I, I of course, that whole thing would have been trashed, right? Have to do away with it and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's no way that we can uh, we can tolerate that you know any change in the entrance, but uh, but they didn't. They they played extremely well and and got by um, you know a, a team that I as you said I, I didn't expect them to beat as badly as as it did. One of the things that uh, that that I thought was uh, worth that's worth mentioning and keeping an eye on going forward is the John Holcomb uh, appearance and what that might mean to to Kansas State when I. Uh, when I saw what he did and, and what I envision him doing, it reminds me of Blake Bell, uh, the Blake Bell era at at, uh, at Oklahoma, the Belldozer, where um, you know he brought in and in when when uh, not the era, but before the before Blake Bell was a starting quarterback, he'd come off the bench and and be the short yardage guy at the goal line for the Sooners. Uh, it sounds like John Holcomb could be used in a similar fashion. Yeah, well, this is a guy who's built for it. I mean, the belldozer was built for it, but I think this guy, John Holcomb, even takes it to another level. He's six foot four and two hundred and forty nine pounds. He used to play. He actually started out as a defensive end in high school, not a quarterback. Um, got a lot of athleticism, so that just kind of goes to show uh, he is built for for that kind of thing. Um, I was a little surprised to hear Chris Kleiman say he was that impressed, so impressed that he would consider giving him his own uh, short yardage package this season, just because, from what I understand, that's not something he ever really did at North Dakota State. And as good as Skylar Thompson played in week one, I don't know that you really want to be looking into ways to take him off the field. But it's tantalizing to think about. I mean, the coaches have gone with wildcat formations with big quarterbacks for years, and it always seems to work. 
So that's definitely a new wrinkle that um, I think people will be excited to see whenever it does come out. Yeah, something to keep an eye on for sure. Might see it as early as Saturday. Bowling Green is the opponent, and this is a this is a program that actually had a coaching change during the season in, in 2018. So um, Scott Leffler, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is is the coach now. He's known as something of a of a quarterback coach. He's worked with Tom Brady and um, uh, and Tim Tebow in his in his career. And Bowling Green got off to a really nice start last weekend by beating Morgan State. I think it was forty six to three. And before the season started, when I saw Kansas State's schedule, I actually thought the Wildcats would have a, a tougher task in their opener than in their second game. Me too. Yeah. So we didn't, but we didn't have a you know a result to. To judge Bowling Green by, there was a it's a nice, very nice result. Overwhelmed an opponent that that comes from the same uh, classification as you know as the opponent that Kansas State played in the opener. So, what's uh, what, what's the what's the feeling going in? I one one thing that that occurs to me, Callis, is the fact that there was there was a lot of anticipation for the opener, the beginning of a new regime. Uh, people are excited. You know, Bill Snyder Family Stadium sold out. A lot of excitement. Maybe. Is it is it fair to suggest a little bit of a of a come down factor for for week two? I think so. If there's anything to worry about this week, it's uh, the 11 a.m. kickoff, the you know non marquee opponent, the crowd's not going to be quite as big just because it's not the start of a new era. We've seen a little bit of it now. So yeah, that's what I'm wondering about is when everybody's not jacked up and ready to get out there and play 100 miles an hour. Um, you know, will it be difficult for them to bring their own energy and uh, just dominate from start to finish? Um, you know, the, the line's pretty similar. It's 23 again. I, I I feel like they probably do cover it just because I agree with everything you said. I think Nichols is probably a better team. I'm looking at the Sagarin ratings right now, bowling greenwich between uh, Louisiana Monroe and Liberty. So not a powerhouse we're talking about here. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think maybe coaches were fired up play in FCS school because they had experience with them and have been in the FCS before. Um, I don't know that people really get fired up about low-level FBS, especially a team that's picked to finish near the bottom of the MAC. So, I mean, on paper, K-State should win this game handily, but it's like we were talking about. Um, you gotta, they got to come to play if they want to do it. Right, and like, and, and as I think as is obvious the way through our conversation, Kansas State was impressive on both sides of the ball in, in the opener. Um any reason to believe that one side will struggle a little bit more this week than, than perhaps in the opener? Is um, Bowling Green's defense a, bigger, a better challenge for, for the Wildcats? Uh, are we looking at something similar to, you know, a, a, a basically that you know, the, the opener was, was over in the first half? I mean, uh, do, do you anticipate something similar? Um, you know, I, I'm interested to see how the defense plays in this game because we really didn't get much of a feel on what they did in the first game because they were only on the field for 41 snaps. The offense was so effective, they really never gave Nichols a chance to do anything. They just hogged the ball all game. Um, so what, you know, what, it, what if that doesn't happen? What if their position t- possession time is closer to 30 instead of 42? D- does that, you know, wear down the defense at all? Do they right. not make quite as many plays? Um, so I, I think that's the big question mark right now. I think everybody got a good sense of what they're doing on offense, but there's still some mystery on defense. I'm not an expert on Bowling Green's roster, but just looking at their week one stats, it looks like they got a pretty good grad transfer who came in and they, they can do some things. So I, I'm, I'm not expecting a shutout or anything like that. 
Well, and the schedule picks up uh, significantly after this week for for Kansas State, uh, Mississippi State, and Oklahoma State. On the road are the next two opponents for for the Wildcats. All right, Kellis, thanks for spending some time with us, and we're going to take this conversation over to Columbia, Missouri, and talk to Alex Schiffer, who covers the Tigers for the Kansas City Star. The Tigers play West Virginia in the home opener on Saturday. But let's uh, before we talk about the Mountaineers, let's take one last look back at, uh, at the Wyoming loss and how this affects the perception of Barry Odom. I think he needed, he needed a win. Any kind of win, I think, would have been satisfactory for, for Mizzou fans. Just get the win. It didn't happen. Where does this where does this leave Missouri fans with with Barry Odom, who listen by by some accounts is uh, you know not um, you know not the most popular of coaches in, in, by by Missouri fans? Yeah, it, it's an interesting place because I don't I want to start off. I don't think that he uh, he's in position to lose his job yet. I mean, it's one game; they could still go eleven and one hypothetically, and they could still get the ball been lifted. There's still a lot on the table this season. I think what the problem is is that. It's been a lot of the same mistakes. You know, you said how Andy Reid is, I believe your stat was 17-3 and three coming off bye weeks. Right. Barry, Barry Odom has shown that if you get, the more time you give him to prepare for a game, the, the worse off his team is. I, I think if Missouri were to move the West Virginia game up to tomorrow, they, they'd be in great shape just based on how this has gone. And uh, the other thing I think is just that there, there's so much riding on this West Virginia game with the South End Zone and Kelly Bryant's home debut. They, they had about as good of an offseason as a program like Missouri can have. You're never going to be the top team on National Signing Day. You're never going to have the most NFL draft picks. But given the program's history and standards, they had a pretty good run. I mean, they got the top free agent in college football with Kelly Bryant. There was plenty of people at Pro Day and cameras rolling through campus all through the spring for Drew Locke's stuff with the NFL draft. And they had all this momentum going into the new South End Zone. It should be a sellout or close to it. And this is the year attendance comes back. And then it just dropped like a bag of dirt. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that's the problem. You know, uh, an, an interesting thing that I thought, and it's, it's way too early for a hop board or anything, but... You know, there was a lot. Alex Grinch, Gary Pinkle's nephew, has been in the news a lot lately. There was a great story written about his mom, Gary Pinkle's sister, about how she didn't have, she has no use of her legs, and yet she still had this great life. And he, he looked great as Oklahoma's defensive coordinator. And he's also a relative and member of the past regime, which had a great history. I already had some emails and everything of saying, you know, Mizzou should start looking into him. I, I, I think that's ridiculous just because if I were Mizzou, if Barry Odom were to hypothetically not work out, why would you hire a Power 5 defensive coordinator as his replacement? That's the that's what you guys did the last time, and it didn't work out. I think it would have to be someone with coaching experience or something like that. But I think that the undoing of all the momentum so quickly, the history repeating itself, and then just a little bit of bad luck of the day after Barry Odom suffers one of his worst losses – his good friend and former colleague has that has ties to the program has this great coming out party as the Oklahoma Zoo defensive coordinator. It just it was a recipe for disaster, a perfect storm to get fans thinking about uh, someone else running the program. Yeah, and look, there, there's just a segment of the fan base, usually a vocal segment that um, that will continue to to think this way, and and Barry Odom has to win them over. We've seen it in sports time and time again, and. Some some fans will never be won over, but Barry Odom had a had a very successful and, and often does uh, second half of seasons, and he had one last year, and has an opportunity, as you said, um, eleven and one's a, a you know a little uh, 
pie in the sky, but but can still you know produce a good season. And this is this West Virginia game is the start of you know five straight at home. I know that we talked about how you know Missouri being undefeated going into Georgia, the potential for that, and maybe a couple of top ten teams meeting each other. But that's that's now off the table. I noticed that. You took Missouri out of your top twenty-five. You you have a, a vote in the in the Associated Press poll, and uh, Missouri will not be uh, in in the AP top twenty-five. So it, it's it's deserved. Missouri's got to kind of earn their way back and win their way back in. I'm not saying it's it's not possible, but it begins on Saturday with the visit from um, you know from West Virginia, a Big Twelve team that that won its opener over James Madison, an opponent that I think some people would just sort of dismiss because it's an FCS team, but I, I'm here to tell you that James Madison is a solid program, and and look, um, FCS teams can give FBS teams all kinds of problems. Kansas has lost to a few of them over the last few years. North Dakota State has beaten Kansas State and, and Iowa, among others, over the years. James Madison's a very, very good program. I think West Virginia, people inside that program are probably breathing a sigh of relief that they got through that game with a victory, and now... Now they're going to face a what I would believe would be a very motivated Mizzou team. So what are the Tigers getting themselves into on Saturday? Yeah, you know, as, as we were talking earlier, I, my mom's an alum of James Madison. I follow the program really well. It's tough to assess West Virginia because of that with their game against them because, you know, they had 34 rushing yards on 24 carries against JMU. It, it's tough to really – week one, you already kind of have limited play to work with, but it, it – I guess the way I'd put it is maybe stuff that you wouldn't raise a flag over, or, you know, mark in red for a usual bye game or, or non-conference game. I think you might circle a little more with a team like JMU or North Dakota State because they are a closer comparison of what you might face later on in the season. And I, I kind of wonder just, you know, if, if Missouri's run defense, which was awful and allowed 300 yards to Wyoming on Saturday – if if they look good this weekend, well, you know, I think I think the jury's still out going in. Even with Semo the following week, the, the jury's still out for a while because it's like, well, they is it is it is West Virginia have a running problem or is did, is all mistakes fi- fixed by Mizzou? You know what I mean? It's it's right. It's still it's and that's what makes some of this tough. You know, Austin Kendall, the the Oklahoma graduate or the Oklahoma transfer. I'm sure they've had a lot of transfer QBs with the way it's gone the past few years. He looked good in the highlights. I watched 260 yards, uh, two touchdowns. His completion percentage was over 60, it looked like. And um, and Barry Odom even said, you know, it's tough to really assess his film because, again, it was one week. They probably kept a part of the playbook off limits because of this week's game. Also, he, he didn't play much at Oklahoma because they had Baker Mayfield and, uh, and now Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray. So there's not really much of a book on this guy, but he was a good top recruit out of high school. So... It, it it's tough to kind of tell the team they're getting other than that they have a new coach in Neil Brown from Troy and some kinks to work out with with the offense he runs so he's a Mike Leach disciple so he's got an adaptation of the air raid like a lot of teams do these days but as you said I think I think this is a Missouri team that plays at its best when it's backs against the wall and you know I, I think that there's even though the Missouri players aren't probably thinking about this I think there is added incentive with this game given Missouri's had attendance problems recently. It's the debut of the new South End Zone. I think with this being the first of five home games, I think a lot of fans, whether it's right or not, is a whole other podcast, but I think a lot of fans will judge their weekend plans for the upcoming four or five weeks, counting the bye week, 
based on Saturday's result. Okay, so is this a must win for Missouri? In a lot of ways, yes, it is. I think for revenue reasons, it is. I think for fan interest, it is. I think for relevant, it is. You know, if they start 0-2, again, I, I, I feel very confident that they'll beat SEMO next weekend. I, I think that SEMO and Wyoming are, are night and day in terms of the type of non-conference opponents they are. But, I mean, you're 1-2 you're and two going into your conference opener against South Carolina at home. That You don't want that. I mean, if you're... Three and one or two and one going into that South Carolina game, it's a lot better of a situation for fans. And and again, you know, I think Missouri's going to get up for the South Carolina and the Kentucky games this year, given how both ended last year with the botch coverage with a minute left in the South Carolina game after Tucker McCann hits like a 57 yard field goal to give them the lead. And the Kentucky game again having another controversial ending. I think that those are games they'll have no problem getting up for. I, I if you're DeMarcus AC going into Kentucky this year, don't you want to have the best game of your life? <laughs> yes, you do. So I, I think that there's a lot riding on this game because if, if they can if they can get this one out of the way, I think the domino effect is a lot more favorable for them. All right, Alex. Good conversation. We will talk to you again next week after the Tigers take on West Virginia. Links to the stories we discuss can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Thanks to producers Kathy Liu and Leah Becerra for putting together today's show. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, help us out by rating and reviewing Sportsbeat KC. We'd love to hear from you, and your review could help us reach more listeners. This has been Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. And we'll be back after the Chiefs opener at Jacksonville on Sunday with a Facebook Live and podcast. Thanks for listening. All right, Kellis. Man, you got that down. You got that down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Sports writers doing podcasts, baby. That's what it's all about.